My name is Julian. Uh, it's my pleasure to be continuing our series this morning with you um, called The Great Pursuit. And um, we've been going through this series for a, well, it's an eight week series, so we've got a couple of more weeks left to go on this. But we've been looking at um, the great pursuit of following Jesus. What does it mean to pursue Jesus with everything we have within us? What does it mean to pursue him in the most serious way without necessarily taking ourselves too seriously? Um, but that great commitment of being a Christ follower. And uh, what often carries me forward in my faith, I don't know if this is true for you, uh, is sometimes my frailty or my fragility. And uh, I'm encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1. And uh, later on in the week, you can take time to read this. This is really just to set us up. Uh, and Paul said this, that he, speaking about Jesus, who began a good work in you, is faithful to complete it. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And that encourages me that as I've given my life to Jesus, as I'm pursuing him, as I'm following him, he has begun a good work in my heart. He has begun a good work within me. And he won't stop continuing that good work. Now that should give us a sense of encouragement. That should give us a sense of, that's a relief because actually it's not all on me. It's not all about my ability. It's not all about my strength, but I am changed by the power of God's work in my life. And if you are ever to see change in your life, it has to be by the power of God's work in your life. It's not something we can do in our own ability. And there was many people around the time of Jesus who saw what Jesus did. They heard what he taught. They saw the miracles. They saw the way people flocked to him and they wanted that for themselves, but they didn't necessarily want the requirement of following after Jesus in the way that his closest disciples were. In fact, we see some, some stories right throughout the New Testament where people tried to even purchase the power of God. I mean, imagine that off the shelf, like, you guys have got power, I want to buy that. Uh, and there's this misunderstanding that if we go through the motions and we, we have the the seeming result of what Jesus is doing, then that's enough. But what they're missing is, it's not about imitation, but it's about transformation. And I called this morning's title, The Imitation Game, because it got me thinking not so much about the movie, The Imitation Game, but it got me thinking about how sometimes we can fall into that game of imitation and we can miss that it's not about imitation at all. In fact, it's about God's work in our hearts, doing incredible things. And one of the things Libby and I, uh, I don't want to say we love to do this, but from time to time, we don't have a TV, um, and that's a choice, we're cool with that, but sometimes we'll replace that entertainment time with either watching something on the laptop together or scrolling through videos on social media. Now, I'm not a huge user of social media, it's about the only thing I use it for, but we swap videos uh, that have been repurposed, little memes, and some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. You'll send it to each other throughout the day. I like to curate a catalogue of funny videos for my wife. I think that's a, a loving thing for a husband to do, and so um, we'll, we'll do that. And every now and then, there's something that gets sent to me, which I think because the algorithm knows I'm a Christian, uh, it's worked me out, the, the data's out there, and so it will send me videos that I have not subscribed to. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? So you'll have a video that appears across your feed, and it's from some um, commentator on the Christian faith, and usually it's semi-controversial. It's some hyper-legalistic, out-of-context ideological rant with no rebuttal and no other side of the conversation. And that's normally what I get sent in my feed. This is why I don't spend a huge amount of time on social media. And it'll be something about the hot topic of the day, how it's uh, only one perspective. Uh, and 
there'll be a phrase attached to it, well, look at this person, and they'll highlight all of their failings. And then they'll say, well, they're not very Christian, are they? And we see those kind of things from time to time again, an out-of-context critique on social media. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Justin Bieber uh, on his faith uh, as an example, and you'll find exactly what I'm talking about. The moment that we live our lives as Christians, we're out there for comments. Uh, And you may have found this in your workplace. Maybe you've shared your faith in your workplace. Maybe people know you're a Christian and Maybe they know something that, uh, of the fact that you go to church and immediately it's open to discussion on certain aspects of your life and you can almost feel like if I ever get it wrong, it's going to be difficult. Have you ever felt like that? Walking a bit of a tightrope in your relationships. And people have said that to me over the years, you know, that's not very Christian. But what I've discovered is that's not really my Jesus. That's not the way Jesus uh, sees us and The moment that we look at the world through our own perspective and we think that the world can only be seen through our perspective is the moment we stop pursuing Jesus, the moment we stop allowing him to work on our heart, the moment we stop him allowing to transform us because we think, well, my perspective is the right perspective, that I won't necessarily see this in any other way, but actually the work of Jesus in our hearts is to soften us, to make us malleable, To put us in that place where he can challenge us and he can stir us and he can shape us so that we would understand more of what the love of God is. So we would understand more of what it looks like in our life to see Jesus have an impact upon us and ultimately and hopefully through that an impact on the world around us. And what you'll find continually throughout the great pursuits of following Jesus is mountaintops and fuel stops. Mountaintops and fuel stops. I, uh, for many years, was a, a youth leader where the wrinkles come from, grey hairs coming on the side before my time. And um, once we took our young people uh, on a trip, and unexpected happens and it's hard for you to move forward. That happens with young people climbing a mountain. And so we took them to uh, Snowdonia. We, we're going to climb uh, Mount Snowden together. And it's a relatively easy mountain to climb as far as mountains go. It's still a mountain, so it's still pretty difficult. It's about six, seven hours on a steady hike. And uh, I take off with a load of young people, not the easiest thing in the world, and there's two groups that start to emerge as we climb the mountain. We're moving a little bit slower, and uh, as a good youth leader, I have no contingency plan for not summiting the mountain, right? I've not thought this through. I've not thought, what would I do if some of my young people can't make it to the top? And uh, we'd encourage them to practice weeks in advance, go for long walks. Did they? No. So, so we set off one hour in, two hours in, it starts to get harder and harder. The last uh, hour of the first half of the climb is quite difficult. That's when you're feeling the fatigue. You get to the base of the next layer to summit the mountain, uh, and that's about an hour's trek, quite steep. Uh, and at that point, we realize the, the lack of preparation in some of our young people and the lack of preparation in some of our youth leaders, it has to be said. And so this, this group has gone ahead. I'm there with one of a youth leader. We've got a small group of us. Uh, and this kid just has had enough. Like he just stops, sits down, and he's got in his head, I am not moving from this mountain. At that point, within me, being a Christian, and the Lord working on my heart, I turned into a drill sergeant. I'm not going to lie. You are not staying on this mountain. We will summit or nothing. And so uh, I, <laughs> I start to try to motivate him to get up this mountain. And I'm, I literally, I, 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 
usher him up gently and, and I'm walking behind him with one arm on his back and I'm literally pushing the boy up the mountain. Uh, but he keeps stopping, he keeps stopping and he keeps refusing to move. And then I realize the drill sergeant approach is maybe not the best way. And so we have these frequent moments where we keep trying to encourage him to get up and go again. And we summit the mountain. And what you don't maybe know about a mountain, if you've never done this before, is it's actually harder to come down than it is to go up. It requires a different muscle group in your legs. And you're already tired. So you have the high of the mountaintop. But then you've got the low of the trek down, and it continues. So what should have taken three hours coming down is five and a half. Two and a half of that is pep talks. <laughs> Stopping on the mountain, me trying to dig out some encouragement. Come on, buddy, keep going. We can't stay here. There's no food on the mountain. That's not true, actually. There's a cafe at the top of Snowden. It's 10 pounds for a panini, so that's not happening. And so um, we, we encourage the boy down, and we, we plan this journey as a spiritual reflection as well, which was beautiful. And I've learned so much from it, because what we have is these mountaintop experiences, which are quite exhausting to get to. But you have mountaintops and fuel stops. Sometimes you just stop, and you just can't keep going, and you sit in a moment, and you get stuck. And it takes a lot to get going again. And it's true of our walk of faith, it's true of pursuing Jesus, that we begin with, yes, I'm going to climb the mountain, yes, following Jesus is the best thing ever. But when we're on the journey, my word, it's hard. We get to the top and sometimes we have these great mountaintop experiences spiritually. And then we realize, but we can't always stay there and we've got to go and continue through life and we have these pit stops again. Well, sometimes we're just tired, aren't we? Sometimes we're just exhausted, sometimes we're empty, sometimes we're burnt out, sometimes we're frustrated, sometimes we're disillusioned, sometimes we're frozen with fear. And we can sit in that moment, but if we don't keep going, we don't keep going on the journey with Jesus. And then there's other times where we do keep going, but we forget to walk with Jesus. We press on like the group that left me behind. We press on ahead. I'm not saying I'm Jesus in this analogy, that's not, that's not the parallel. But the parallel is that sometimes we walk beyond and we try to do things on our own strength. We think, well, do you know what? I haven't got the patience. I'm just going to go on and do my own thing. And when you do that on a mountaintop, especially if it's foggy, you get lost. Welcome back, Libby. Thank you for joining. <laughs> Not true. Um, I've forgotten what I'm saying now. Uh, <laughs> on those mountaintops, we can race ahead. And my encouragement to us this morning is don't play the devil's game. He wants us to sit in anger. He wants us to not continue on the journey with Jesus. He wants us to sit in despair. He wants us to sit in disappointment, disillusionment, frustration. God, this is hard. Don't see where you are right now. There's a lot of people praying that in difficult situations around the world. God, I can't make sense of this. And, and we just sit in a moment and we sit in that moment. And what we realize as we follow Jesus that it's hard when we try to make it happen in our own way. It's hard when we try and shoehorn shoe what's going on into our worldview and make sense of it in our own strength. What we've got to do is continually come to the place of, Jesus, where are you in the middle of this? While I'm sat on the mountain having a pity party, Jesus, where are you in the middle of this? And the truth is, he sat there right with you. But we've got to continue walking. And as I got thinking about pursuing Jesus... What I realized is that we play this imitation game where we will say the right things, we'll do the right things, we'll do the things that look Christian. But when we get frustrated, that's really when all of that stuff is tested. 
And when that happens, imitation is not enough. Imitation is not the thing that's going to carry you. And as we think about what it is to be a Christian, that, that might mean many things to many people in the room. But it carries some weight and meaning for those of us that know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. See, in the early days of the disciples, around about the first decade uh, of the disciples following Jesus, and as Jesus goes and leaves them and sends his Holy Spirit, the term Christian didn't really exist. It took, took about 10 years to emerge. Uh, and it's a name that was given to them as a nickname by the Romans in Antioch, which was the first church sort of planted. They were scattered by persecution. Some of the disciples land in Antioch and they get this reputation, like who are those people that have just moved into the area? Are oh, they the Christians? And what they mean is they're the people like this guy called Christ. A Christian just means Christ-like or little anointed ones or those that are of that person Christ that we've heard about. But before that, before the name Christian emerged, they were just known as the disciples of Jesus or those who follow the way. And it was known as the way of Christ. It was the way that Jesus taught and his disciples were those that carried on in the way of Jesus. But this term Christian emerges later on and if you jump forward a, a, a thousand years and another thousand years and roughly sort of landed with so many connotations. It means so many things to different people. And one of the things you might have heard before is, be Christ-like. Have you ever heard that before? You have that moment when maybe you've got something wrong and someone's going, oh, well, that wasn't Christ-like. That's like a, a little bit of an insult, isn't it, sometimes? That's a bit of a moment where someone's, oh, that wasn't very much like Christ. And it's a word that if you've been around church for any number of years, you've maybe heard. But one of the things you also realize is it's not actually in the Bible. The word Christ, you can, you can search this for yourself, the word Christ-like doesn't appear. The concept's there, sort of. But actually, it's not so much that we're called to be like Christ. It's that we're called to allow Christ to work in our heart. And as Christ works in our heart, our lives start to look more like Christ. I'll talk about this a little bit more. But what we've got to do is move away from imitation and get to the place of transformation. And it's not just some fun wordplay. And some of you may be thinking of the verse in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, but it really doesn't do justice to the idea because this same Paul talks about transformation in allowing Jesus to work in your heart. Actually, what Paul is saying when, I, when he says to his uh, uh, readers of the letter, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ, what he's saying is, I have taught you about Jesus, following that same teaching. And look, I model that in my life. What he's not saying is, copy me. What he's not saying is, only know Jesus through the way I behave. What he's not saying is, I am your only example of what it means to follow Jesus. Because otherwise, the people he's speaking to won't have a relationship with Jesus for themselves. So there's a greater context going on there. And we'll come to later uh, what Paul says about allowing Christ to transform our hearts. But we don't need imitation. We need transformation. And transformation comes through revelation. If you're taking notes, you're going to be loving this. Imitation leads to transformation, but it happens by revelation. That you and I need a revelation of who Jesus is. That Jesus is not a jigsaw piece that fits into our lives. And if you've got a Bible, would you turn with me this morning to the book of John? Or scroll or swipe to the book of John. And what we're going to find is as we begin to know who Jesus is, we get a revelation of who he is. And when we get a revelation of who he is, he begins to work in our heart. Maybe you've heard this said, you know, you've got a God-shaped hole in your life. 
And I've even preached that before, but that's not true. Actually, your whole being is God-shaped. It's not like Jesus is a little piece that just fits here. Actually, everything Jesus is, is to affect your whole being. In fact, it says in Acts 17, verse 28, before we get to John, read this. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophet, uh, poets have said, we are his offspring. This is Paul talking. This is the same Paul that said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Actually, he also says, in him we live and move and have our being. And so what we find is, we've got to find ourselves in Jesus. We've got to find ourselves in Christ. And what happens is we get this thing called a, an ontological shift. Which basically means we go from what we once were to what God has in mind for what we should be. That actually we're called to be sons and daughters of the Most High. We're called to be uh, people who are transformed by his love, his grace, and his mercy. And it happens when we submit our hearts and lives to Jesus. If you've ever had an exchange of rights, you'll understand what I mean. Have you ever signed a contract? Maybe you've tried buying a house. Maybe you've tried renting a house. Maybe you've tried signing up to a phone contract. Maybe you've got a gym contract. Any gym contracts in the house? Uh, the moment I sign a gym contract, and I've signed many over the years, <laughs> you enter into a new state of being. You enter into a gym membership. I'm no longer someone who is a member of the gym, but when I sign that contract, I am now a gym member. wasn't a gym goer, but a gym member. <laughs> and so what happens is when we enter into an exchange, there's a shift in our status. And that's exactly what happens when we meet Jesus. See, the revelation of who Jesus is allows us to move from trying to copy Jesus and allowing him to shape the way we live, the way we think, the way we behave. And I'm not saying that it requires no effort. I'm not saying that actually you don't need to take control of your life. I'm not saying that you don't need to decide to do good things. I'm not saying that you don't need to listen to the teachings of Jesus and try and wrestle them through. What I'm saying is you can't do it by yourself. What I'm saying is that you can't do it in your own strength, that we need a revelation of who Jesus is in order to get to the place of transformation. It is not possible by yourself. No matter how many self-help books you read, not, no matter how much you listen to experts in changing your neural pathways, I think you can get some work done by that, but when it comes to living out our faith and following Jesus, you need his help. You cannot just do it through copying. And all too often I, I meet Christians who, who get frustrated because they're trying to behave like a Christian. But they're not necessarily trying to submit their hearts to Christ. And it's subtle. I know it is. I know this feels like, a, are, you, are you just nitpicking, Julian? No, no this, this is the difference between embodying Jesus within our hearts and lives or just going through the motions. And when you just go through the motions, that will carry you so far. But when the storms hit, and they will hit will be nowhere without the transformation of Jesus in our hearts. And with that, that's the backdrop for John 1 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to begin in verse 1, verse 16, uh, 1 to 16. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Read that fast three times. <laughs> Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus uh, is the 
the symbol of light in this story. John writes his gospel. He was a follower of Jesus. And he begins to tell us that this Jesus that we know, this Jesus that we're talking about, he was there in the beginning. He means to tell us this Jesus is God. And with him, without him, nothing was made. And within him, all life came. And then he describes Jesus as light. And what we know about light is that light outweighs the darkness. Light pushes darkness away from us. He means for us to understand that this Jesus that we're talking about this morning, this Jesus that we're saying, give your hearts and lives to follow, allow him to transform you, is light. And when we find ourselves in darkness, that is the light that comes in to dispel it. It's a gentle backdrop. Verse 6 says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is confusing because it's in the book of John. It's a different John, talking about John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself, he came only as a witness to the light. And then verse 9 says this, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world, he came to He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human will or decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now all the stuff we talked about at the start of my talk this morning, the ontological shift, the transformation, it all comes to play in these few verses. That actually we, we can be forgiven for thinking, well, if I go to church and I go through the motions and I do the right thing, that's enough. And it was wonderful last week to hear Serena, you've already shared it. So <laughs> <laughs> you talked about a moment where I used to go to church, but then I realized that it was more than just doing the things, right? It's more than just going through the motions. That actually as I got to know Jesus, I'm butchering it a little bit, not word for word, but there was a change in your heart. And it's in that change that we find transformation. Because we realize that it's not about behavior. It's about allowing Jesus in. Because the Bible says here, to all who received him, he gave the right, one state to another. You get a spiritual ontological shift. Everyone say ontological. It's a word you'll never use again. (laughs) But it's this beautiful mystery of heaven, this miracle where I have changed who I am. And I haven't done it in my own strength, but it has happened to me. But I've allowed it to happen to me by accepting Jesus into my heart, by allowing him to work in my life. Let's read this again. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word right there is exousia. Can't get through a sermon without a bit of Greek, but it actually has several interpretations. You can pick four or five, but the general idea is rights or permission or option. And it's this choice placed before you. So in other words, Jesus didn't come to force you to follow him. God has not provided a moment where he has pushed himself upon you, but he has given you the option to accept Jesus into your life. And in doing that, you get to become children of God. And where it comes together is this, that we partner with God to move to the place of transformation. So another way of saying it is it's kind of like we're climbing the mountain. Like the young person I had years ago, 
We're doing this walk with Jesus, and sometimes we can sit in a moment and we can refuse to move. But actually, when we stand up and we walk with Jesus, we're, we're walking towards the process of transformation. It's an ongoing thing. We're not trying to do it in our own strength. We're not trying to pretend. We're not trying to be the best person I can be, although you should. They're good things. What we're doing is we're allowing him to direct our steps. We're allowing him to usher us forward. We're allowing him to guide us. We're allowing him to speak to us. Because God does not force himself upon us. But he gives us the right to become children of God. And what you do with your children is you nurture them. You help guide them. You help them grow. And then I'm going to give us verse 16 because time's running away. But I encourage you to read this chapter in your own time. Verse 16 says this, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Some translations say grace upon grace upon grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. You and I do not deserve the favor of God, yet he gives it to us. You and I do not necessarily deserve the forgiveness of God, but he gives it to us. In fact, the Bible tells us elsewhere that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one perfect in this room. Hands up if you are. There's no one, right? There's no one who's got it right all the time. Because we have to walk in his grace. And we have to walk in his grace upon grace upon grace. And so actually this is a cooperation with God that we ought to not play the imitation game. We ought to not try and do it on our own strength. But we allow him to transform us by the revelation that Jesus works in our lives. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And that's what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Skip to the next verse just so they can see that. And the next one. That you and I have this mystery going on. We, when we lay our hearts bare before the Lord. We don't know how it happens other than the fact that his Holy Spirit comes to convict us we respond by saying, Jesus, I give my life over to you. And somewhere in the middle of this process, we find our hearts being transformed. Not because we are making an effort, although you ought to, but because we've allowed Jesus in where before he maybe was closed at the door. We've allowed him to speak to us when before maybe we weren't listening. We've allowed him to correct ourselves when we were trying to do it in our own strength before. We're allowed to walk with him and be shaped by him. When we first moved to uh, Sutton, we started gardening. And uh, we're not very successful at it. Libby's better at it than I am. Uh, and if you've ever dabbled in gardening, you have to learn loads of things. And I found this shoot sticking out in the ground one day. And I picked it up and thinking it was a weed. And I pulled it out and it was a little acorn. And it had grown into like a, a little acorn sprout. You can tell I'm a gardener. And uh, I thought, this is wonderful because it takes about a year to do that as I researched it. And Judah was a year old at the time, and so I named it Judah. I thought, this is wonderful. I, I had this vision of this oak tree growing up with my son. And so I planted it, and I thought, you know, year on year as he grows, the oak tree grows. I'll tend to it. I'll nurture it. I'll care for it. Anyway, a week later, a squirrel ate it. Poor, 
But five weeks ago, we were at National Trust and loads of oak trees had sprouted up and I dug all them up as well. I thought, oh, no, no, I refuse. <laughs> and I got six or seven home, dug them out of the ground and nurtured them and I took them home and I planted them. Squirrel ate them. <laughs> I didn't learn my lesson. See, I, I, hadn't, um, I hadn't guarded them. I hadn't cared for them. I hadn't nurtured them. I'd just done sort of the bare minimum, really. I'd gone through the motion. Um, what I realized on these acorns, that if it was to grow into anything strong, it would need some nurture. And the reason I share that is I don't want you to go away thinking uh, what I'm saying to you is that you, you have no part to play in this, that it's no effort, it's just Jesus working in you. Actually, we've got to guard the work that God has done in our lives already. We've got to continually guard our hearts. We've got to continue to keep a fertile ground within our spiritual lives and if you've met Jesus, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If, if you're not there yet, um, you'll find something stirring in your heart in this. But it's okay if you're not perfect. It's okay if you feel incapable of living like Jesus. It's a tall order. Because Jesus is the perfect man. Right? He, he, he was without sin. He was blameless. And I can be blamed for several things. I am not without sin. I, I get things wrong all the time. And so just, I want you to cut yourself a bit of slack. And I'm just going to invite the worship team up. But we're going to come to communion in a second. And the reason I share the acorn story is, it is not your job to grow the acorn. It is your job to nurture it and protect it while it grows. And what I really want to land on this morning is this beautiful partnership between us and the Lord. That actually as we come around the communion table together, we're going to break bread and we're going to drink some juice. And it represents the body of Christ broken for us. It represents the blood of Christ shed for us. But it also represents the sacrifice of the Lord. And you'll no doubt see the connection on Remembrance Sunday when we think about those who have laid their lives down and it is the greatest sacrifice and Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and I but in the middle of that it's not just something we remember in the middle of what we do as a faith community it's not just something we do every Sunday in the middle of trying to be like Jesus it's not something we have to do to look right or behave right it's something we do in partnership with what Jesus is already doing in our hearts and if you feel far from perfect, that's sort of okay, right? That's kind of the point because what you're recognizing is it's not me that does the work, it's Jesus. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not Julian's effort, the hope of glory in my own life. It's Jesus working in my heart. And as we've continued this series, the pursuit, the great pursuit of following Jesus I want to encourage you, as you reflect maybe over this week, to just abandon the idea of, I've got to make it happen, but to embrace the prayer that, Jesus, would you work in my heart? Or would you change me from within? And what you find is, it's, it's just easier to get up from that mountain fuel stop. It's easier to stand up and walk. It's easier to keep going. Because now you're not trying to work it out. Now you're partnering with God, which is a beautiful thing to do.